Welcome, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Today's guest is Ann Kate Sullivan. And for any of you, and I know there are some because we've had private Facebook conversations who have studied and really have enjoyed the legends of um, Celtic heroines and the mythology around that, you're really going to enjoy listening and speaking with Anne today because she has not only studied that, but that has been a trajectory in her life. And she has recently published two new books, The Heroines of Avalon and Legends of the Grail. And we're going to talk about that. But I also want to tell you, she has quite a bit of accomplishments to her name. So let me just share a little bit of that. Anne is an MA, MFA, PhD, and an award-winning best-selling author. So she focuses on mythology and folklore for the modern age. And one of the things that I most enjoyed in reading about her background, and I'm going to ask her to talk a little bit about that, is when she kind of had that aha moment, like, where are the heroines in all of this stuff about all of the other heroes? But let me share with you that she um, offers private consultation and workshops, also interested in learning more about that, specifically around the heroine's journey and the grail quest. So she has also a best-selling children's book series, and then her book, A Story of Becoming, sold over a quarter million copies and won 18 literary awards. So before we went live, I joked with her and said, did you start writing when you were two? And she laughed and just said, I started writing at four. So with all of these credits to her name, I imagine she probably has been writing for many years. So Anne, with that as a brief introduction, what would you add? You know, it was funny when you said, how old were you when you started writing? And I remember as a, as a very young child, I do believe I was four because I taught myself to read and write when I was four. I told my parents I was here on earth to be a, a mystic poet. And they said, um, that's really neat, but how are you going to make a living? <laughs> <laughs> every, every caring parent's thing is like, oh, I'm not sure that's a career track. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's why I'm here. And this is what I'm going to be doing. And luckily, my, my father was a writer and my mom was a painter. So they went along with it. How, that's pretty prescient to know you would be a mystic writer at such a young age. So, well, I, I would like for folks, if you could just give us an introduction, a brief introduction to both of the books and what led you to think about writing them, because they're very different in structure. I would say they're somewhat different in how they're laid out. But if you could just kind of talk a little bit about each of them, and then I've got some very specific questions for you. Okay. So I hope that most people had a wonderful grandmother and that you could go over to their house. Maybe she was an aunt and you could go over to her house and you would Maybe she'd be making some food and she'd be stirring her pot. And while she was doing these sort of mundane activities and the steam was rising up, that you might, you might start listening to the, the stories that she was telling you, right? And so my Nana used to tell me about the Knights of Northumbria, the men that lived in Bamborough Castle that were so ferocious and that eventually these these men because of their great deeds and were given this land grant and actually the if the story is correct and who knows what's myth and what's truth but i i like it the the land was a uh, was given in 18 uh, no 1668 
to our family by the King of England. And so this is still in the family. So we can walk on these, this, this 200 acre plot, this 200 acre farm and look at the graveyards where John and the relatives from England and Scotland were buried. And so of course I was fascinated by these stories, completely fascinated. They had me. And so I, I was lucky enough to win an overseas research award to King's College London. And of course, I have to go to Bamborough Castle. I had to go up there and see this place where these, where these great knights and ladies lived and, um, and, and discovered that in some tales, Lancelot was from there. In some tales, the Lady of the Lake was from there. And so I think from a very early age, my grandmother gave me a little sip from her, her cauldron, her, her pot, her, her grail. And uh, she inspired me to go in search of something wonderful. So when I think about mythology and heroines and heroes, I will say that there are many fewer heroines told stories about, but it's also very familiar ever since, especially since Joseph Campbell's work, right? We all have this sense of the hero's journey. So it made me wonder knowing that I got to ask you this question, how do you see the distinction between a hero's journey and a heroine's journey, if there is one? I think it's a really good question for our time. And I think it's one that we need to answer and that it evolves. But I, when I was studying and I was collecting folklore, uh, I wound up, at, I tell the story in the book, that, that I wound up at Trinity College looking at the, this, whole, this whole row of white, male busts. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not sure I really fit here. And, and so when I went, I actually went looking in the West of Ireland and I had this actually sort of terrible sense of emptiness. I was like, well, I'm here doing this, but will I ever matter? Well, my stories, the way I tell it, will I matter? Am I, you know, am I out of place in some way? And so it became this kind of difficult question that I had to grapple with. And one day I went to, um, Glastonbury, which is a, I don't know if you've been there, but it's the pilgrimage place. It's been a pilgrimage place in the Southwest of England for many, many years. It's sort of the, the British um, Jerusalem. So I was there by the, a lovely well called the Chalice Well. And I was meditating and I was really asking to find the feminine face of the divine. And I had this presence, this, this wonderful mystical presence. And I saw what I felt what I felt was this wonderful mother. And I realized that, that the divine has many, many faces and the faces can be masculine, they can be feminine, they can be trees, they can be fairy folk, they can be all kinds of things, you know? So this well, this journey with this well started opening up these otherworldly experiences. So I became very fascinated by this. So I, I did start journeying to very sacred places and meditating in those places and getting in touch with the archetypal energies that reside there. And, and this is a, a you know, there's a, there are stories that live in the land. And when you stand on those places, you can feel it. A lot of people go to, um, they, they follow the, the, hero, the hero's journey, King Arthur. And so and it's a very fantastic tale. And, and for, my son, my son wants to know everything about King Arthur, and, and I think it's important. But you know, also the stories of Nimue, and you don't know these names. Nimue, Nimue was the lover of Merlin, and she was actually some people say more powerful than Merlin. 
right? Then they have these other Welsh tales. Some of the uh, women in the book um, were demonized. And so my job was to go back and um, say uh, this one Welsh goddess, for instance, her name was Blodaiwith. She's, she's She rises up out of a flower. She's created out of, a, out of a flower. And then she's called an adulteress and a murderer. So I had to go back and look at her tale to see why a flower goddess would, would be condemned. And as you read the tale, you can understand it. First of all, she doesn't operate, she, she doesn't have human morals. She's a flower. <laughs> so she has a completely different perspective. So, so one of the things that happens as you, as you begin a heroine's journey, heroine's different. Like a hero has to find his strength. Right, he's he's going to ride into the underworld, and he's going to probably grab the 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 hallows that he needs, and he's going to come back with him. On a heroine's journey, we're not slaying dragons. What we're doing is we're going to the to the place where the dragon resides, and we're going to listen to the dragon. We're going to befriend the dragon. So, which can mean all kinds of things. But a hero a heroine's journey is becoming sensitive about listening to the land, going to the and this is a real story. There are these places, these sacred wells that you can go to. And at once, once upon a time, they say that there were maidens that lived by these wells. And heroes would go to these wells and they would ask, they would ask for a sip of inspiration. They would ask for, for the wisdom of the well. And the maidens, maybe, maybe if they thought he was a good guy and they thought he was really on track and maybe he deserved to be a hero, they might rise up out of the well and they might let him have a sip and they might let him begin to see what his gifts were. But in the tales, as, as we've forgotten to go and honor these places, they've become sleepy. These places are sleepy. So part of the, the heroine's journey is to go back into nature and to spend time with the trees so that the trees wake up. The trees wake up and they go, yes, I do have a doorway. I do have a doorway. I'm, a, I'm an oak or I'm a holly bush. And yes, I do have a, a doorway to the place where the fairy folk are. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's so funny because I'll be out talking to the trees. My regard. Are you talking to someone out here? I said, uh-huh. I'm talking to the trees. And what are you saying? I said, I'm mostly saying thank you. <laughs> right? Because it's like I you can feel it, right? And I'm not saying our trees are a sacred place, but there is that energy that when you're with it it matters. But when you're talking about the wells or those sacred places, are they both metaphorical and literal places? No, if we go, if we think about Glastonbury for a, for a minute, you can go to Glastonbury and sit at the chalice well, and you can walk up the tour. So there are physical places. Now, if you want to go to the realm of a noon, which is which is a mystical place below the tour, you might have to remember how how the druids walked in a spiral up to the top, and they balanced all seven of their centers as they walked up and they had to listen with the ears of their heart and then be invited into another world where they would maybe sit inside the tower and drop into a noon where they might meet Gwynot Neath, who's the Lord of the underworld. Right. So that, so there's a one thing that you can do. That's a physical, practical thing that anyone can do. And then there's another thing that happens when, you know, you can think about it like this. Because everyone's a little bit afraid of being crazy or mad or, you know, but 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I'm going, I don't know, there's a lot to be said for being a little bit out there sometimes. <laughs> so, well, you know, if you're a poet, you have to walk the edge. But anyway, so you can you can think of it like this. Let's say that that we were at the tour and we decided we were going to walk up and there's a there's a concrete path that leads right up. And so you walk up and then you you notice and that it's steep and there's a bird and there's a sheep and there's a tower. That's one way that's one way to do it. Or you might do something different. You might say, "Oh, I want to I want to feel the energy of this place. I want to know the presence of this place." No, I'm going to feel where my feet need to go. And then your feet will start to take you somewhere. And then, and then suddenly you find, oh, I'm by a purple, a copper beech tree. And that's the mother of the woods. <gasps> what does she have to tell me? Where, where does she want me to go? Now, she probably won't just speak like a person. Oh, maybe she will. You never know. But you might feel the wind push you somewhere. And you go, oh, I'm going to walk here. And look, there's a blue stone. Oh, look, there's a bird. I'm going to follow the bird. And so then you find, you weave your way up. And as you're weaving your way up the hill, you go, oh, there's a, there's a hole in the side of the hill. I'm going to sit here. And in my imagination, I'm going to fly into this crevice. And I'm going to see where I go. See? What's interesting, the distinction for me is one is very... Um... Well, one's very connected to feeling and intuition and observing versus saying, this is what I must do and just to have it done. But it made me think about, as you're talking about that, maybe off a little bit, but also I'm thinking on personally, but also just in today's world, the distinction between those two choices, saying you want to go and experience the place and the two different ways that are possible and potentially others When I think about women and our working, and I'm going to say professional, I know it's not limited to just that, but there's a constant drive and an energy and a production that happens. And I'm curious how this either interrupts that, supports that, is at odds with that, but really being in a way that you're describing, how does that fit in with today's modern professional woman? Well, in the in the Celtic tradition, there's a there there is a space for someone to go out into the woods and to develop their mythic imagination. And and you're right in this culture, that's you know, unless you wind up getting an overseas research award somewhere, you probably <laughs> you might not be able to encounter that. But what I think is really important for men and women, because a, a heroine's journey is not just for women. You know, I think we know the hero's journey and both women and men have been on the hero's journey and the, and the hero does achieve. I mean, he's, he's got to learn his, his strength and his courage and his bravery. He's got to learn how to protect his people. He's got to learn the truth from falsehood. So the hero's journey is a very important journey. And I love the stories of, of King Arthur. In fact, I'm writing a book right now on, Excellent. <laughs> on, on kings and heroes because I also need to know their stories. But I think the stories that are mostly missing in our culture are the heroine stories. And um, if you think about it, if you look at, at Greek and Roman mythology, you don't find solar goddesses. You find lunar goddesses. They always reflect the light of the masculine, and that's their role. But in the Celtic tradition, they're solar goddesses. My namesake, I will say, Anya, she's, she's a, Anya is a, or Ain in some traditions, or Anu is a solar goddess. 
and in the old days, they they're called the Pap Savannah. They're these two, these two sort of bald hills, and they have little chimneys on them. And so at the summer solstice, they would ride up and they would light these nipples to to invite Anya to come and to be with them, so that they would be full of fertility and creative imagination, and that we would have abundance and food and so forth. So I think for any woman who is interested in being very successful and I'm, a, I'm also very ambitious. You know, I love, I love to tell the stories, but I like to tell them to a large audience. You know, I, I think they're important. And so I think what it's as important to know your in world as it is to know the external world. And if anything, I would say if you're 60% in and 40% out, then you have solidity, a kind of solidity, a way of, of getting through, because let's face it, there's some challenging things going on in the world right now, right? Just a couple. <laughs> Just a what couple. <laughs> so if you know your in-world and you know your friends and your, your dream companions, and first of all, um, you you tend not to fear death so much because you realize death is an illusion. That's one part that's really important as you do these journeys. You realize you become a walker between worlds. So you, you go and you find the poetry in the dreams to keep people alive, to, and you find your spark. So if you if you go on your heroine's journey and you talk to the ladies of the well and you find the spark that is yours, and by the spark I mean that piece of you that's eternal, that goes on forever. And you can feel that. You come back, you lit up in a way that anyone can put that out on you. doesn't matter. I mean, and it really doesn't matter if you're, you know, a janitor somewhere or someone just washing dishes or a mom stuck with four kids and you think, oh, no, I'm, not, I'm not really doing my, what I'm supposed to do with my life. Really none of that matters because you can be putting dishes in the dishwasher and still be in your in-world. And then when you have the opportunity to speak or you know, your dream job comes or whatever, whatever your particular unfolding is, when that shows up, you have your spark. And that's going to lead you to your success because that's your truth. So are children born knowing their spark and then it gets cloudy or is it always needing to be a quest? That's my that's my sparkle series for children. <laughs> well, you got to tell it to a grown up right now who wants to be back at five to hear you tell the sparkle st- series. <laughs> I do I do believe that if you're going to go on a quest for the Grail, if you're going to go for on a quest for your wholeness, that inner child in you, that wondrous child, needs to be very alive. So that's what the sparkle series is about. And actually, it starts out with a little girl who says. He says, her name is Sarah, and she, and she says, well, mother, oh, no, the clouds are coming in. The clouds are coming in, mother. I'm starting to forget who I am, and I'm not Sarah at all. I'm Sparkle. And so her, her mother takes her into the forest to speak to the fairies. So, so you um, somehow intuited that. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a different story. Maybe we should do that one offline. But, um, but I do think about I do think that that actually I'm going to read that series before finishing these books, just because there is a piece of me personally, because I can be so driven that I just really like that little kid thing. And I remember walking into a room as a kid and having people react to me in a certain way. And, you know, parents, they say, oh, that's my daughter, Sarah, or whatever. 
But I remember how I would be described as a kid. And then even as an adult, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm, my mom would say, oh, no, all you need is Sarah around. You just relax, lighten, right? Everybody lightens up. And I'm thinking, okay. As an adult, I'm, and especially as a teenager, you're thinking, what planet was she from? But, but as you get older, you start thinking about that. You're going, I don't know, maybe that is some core thing that just got, I don't know. So I'm going to read the series. And then I'm going to ask you to, uh, a couple more questions. I could go on forever with you because I'm just so fascinated. But when you talk about the different heroines and the places, you know, and right now you've referenced the British Isles and Scotland, Ireland, that area of the world. Are there similar places and stories in other continents or are they centered around that geographic area? Well, I think the... My, my lineage is Celtic, and so those are the stories that are f- most familiar to me. But if you start to look at, so in the, in the Irish, let's say the Irish tradition, the old woman of the world would be called the, the Kalia, but she appears, she appears in every mythology and uh, worldwide, whether it's Afro-American, whether it's uh, in, in China, all over the place. These same, these same art, the same archetypes, the they're really close to the Norse mythology, especially because the women are so powerful. In the Celtic tradition, Norse tradition, you find, I mean, some of these characters are really great. Like, let's take um, Skaia, for instance. So she's a, a goddess that lives in the Isle of Skye, lives in Scotland. And there's this Irish hero who wants to become the greatest of all heroes. Right. So we all we all have that part. Right. We have that. We want to find the thing that's going to make us the greatest of whatever we want. We want to be. So he he's told that the only way that this can happen is that he has to go and meet her. And so he goes to the Isle of Skye and <laughs> 22 foot ravine and he has to jump it. And he looks down and he sees all these skulls and he goes, oh, I might not make it. But the only way across is you have to jump, you know. So. When he jumps, there's, there's, she is, Skaya. She's there waiting for him with a dagger and she's reading his future. And she's deciding right now whether she's going to kill him or she's going to make love with him or she's going to turn him into what maybe he can be. So, <laughs> so she takes him on this grand adventure and she's pretty intense character. So he has to learn to take lightning strikes and all sorts of things. And then he emerges, eventually he emerges as the greatest of Ireland's heroes. Fulan of Merhavna. But what I love about it, all, all these stories, is that these, these heroes, and it's also true for women, but you have to, in this, in this tradition, you have to marry the land. You have, you, if you're separated from the land in some way, you're going to be weak, you're going to be taken out. And, but if you really learn your magic, and, and by that, it's the, in, the, in this tradition, there are four sacred hallows. So you have to have your sword of truth, which is King Arthur, if you think of King Arthur and the and the um, Excalibur, you know, the, his sword, and you have to have your spear of inspiration, uh, which is also a masculine thing, but it's like it's being able to handle the lightning bolt, the the inspiration that comes from the gods or the goddesses that's gonna that's gonna light you up, whatever the energy is that lights you up, and then there's the more the feminine side, which is the cup, this Grail, and it it take it it. it might be a cauldron, it might be the cup of, it could be all sorts of things, but basically it's what you need to look for to develop your receptivity so that you can travel into the inworld. And then the last piece is, is the stone of destiny. 
And so in all the, in all the traditions, you have to go looking for these, these pieces. And when you find these four hallows, then what you're doing is you're finding your wholeness. And, and of course, on your adventure, you have to meet not only the beautiful grail maidens and, and the, you know, the, you have to meet the green knight who might behead you. You know, you're going to meet challengers or the ugly hags. I love the ugly hags, you know, who come and they have like long teeth and they have, they have warts and their ears stick out and they're, so they're terrifying. And, um, but you have to learn to embrace that too. And I think it has, you know, I, especially for women, I think embracing the, the old ugly hag is really important. If you, if you really want to stand as a queen and have substance, like a real message, something that's alive in you, you know? Because I just like, <laughs> here's my brain. And you've just really slammed the introvert. It's like, oh, going, wait, I've got all these questions. So <laughs> let me ask you about that. When you think about embracing the ugly hag, is that also, it seems to me that by doing that, it's also self-acceptance in a way that allows you to be more, I guess, less taken off center is, would be my language for it, not necessarily in, the, in your language for it. Am I understanding you correctly on that when you're developing that and being able to embrace those parts of yourself? Yeah, if you, I mean, from a more practical point of view, if you think, you know, we're raised in a particular culture and we're set and we're told, oh, you have to be nice and you have to be pretty and you have to behave this way and you have to do all these things. And so the hag gets pushed into the shadow. Well, what's wonderful about the hag is she's got a big cauldron and she has all of your gemstones, your, em- the, the, your emeralds and your diamonds, all your, your creative juices are in there stirring. And so when you go, it's really, people call it shadow work. So it's when you go in and you, and you say, no, I I don't want to just be part of who I am. I want to be completely who I am. I want to be the spring maiden. Yes, of course. And, and hold light, but I want to have the power of the dragon in me too. I want to be scary sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you have to breathe fire. (laughs) (laughs) I know it sounds weird to say, I probably shouldn't say this for clients that I work with, but honestly, there's that part of me that goes, sometimes I just want to be tough. You know, I want to be able to be that scary. Anyway, so when we think about that. The hag, I'm just, just to. Please. The hag has power and that's why we're afraid of her. Because Because she's powerful? Because she's powerful. And does she get demonized for that? She gets demonized everywhere. She's, um, yes. I mean, she's called the old witch, but, but really what she is, is she's the keeper of our dreams. And she does appear in all mythology, all, all, world mythology everywhere. But she's particularly, you'll find her, I love the, the adventures on the heroine's quest when you, when you go looking for her. I just finished a, a children's book about her. It's called Eva and the Rainbow Dragon. But they have to go meet the old woman of the world in the cave. <laughs> so, anyway okay another book to add to the list <laughs> i'm already addicted so i just you know i have to own that okay so i'm going to you know we've got your two books i let's just say i've never touched them right and now you're saying sarah for you to get maybe not the most benefit but for you to walk through this and understand the concepts and all that how would you suggest i do that does it matter? You can be totally intuitively and just open a page, which would be fine. If you have an Irish 
background. And I think, I can't remember how many millions of Americans have Irish background. But if you have an Irish background, you might want to start with Legends of the Grail. And um, because those are mostly Irish stories. And, and it begins with the creation story of Ireland with Caesar. It was the granddaughter of Noah was not allowed to board the ark. And so, you know, if you, if, you, if you can't board the ark and the storm's coming, what do you do? You make your own ark. So she creates her own ark and sets sail. So I love her, and, and, and she opens the stories of Ireland. And the second book, uh, Heroines of Avalon, these are mostly British stories. They start in Wales, and um, they're a little bit more contemporary, contemporary meaning they're from the 5th to the 12th century. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, those are pretty contemporary. <laughs> the, the thing that's, uh, one of the things I really love about that book is I ran across, I kept reading about Percival's sister. And I was, I thought she, I think she needs a name. She, she's actually the woman that opens the gates to Saros, which is basically heaven so that the other knights can go on their quest. And so she's the first of the grail champions. She's a, she's the first, and no, you never hear about her. So, so anyway, her story is in there. And I, so I, I loved finding her. Her name is Dendrana. I loved finding her name and letting her give her story. So that, that's a great, questing adventure. Very cool. When you were researching this, did you go and talk with other scholars in this or did you have to do most of this through reading? How did you, or through stories? I, I'm a, definitely a hybrid. I love, um, I work with John and Kathleen Matthews. They're Oxford scholars. And um, so I, I stay in that scholarly world a little bit, but they also love Celtic shamanism and Welsh magic and and I have friends that are druids, so I go and we go questing into the uh, the Nematana, the sacred groves. So, but I find once I know a story, once I familiarize myself, so the book's made up like this: you get the traditional tale. This is the tale as it's given. And then once you know, once you have that friend, you know, once Aaron Root appears, and you say, "Oh, okay," so I so I know a little bit about this woman. Then if you can go to the place where her her home was is called Care City, and you can go to this place. It's right between Anglesey, which is the west coast of Wales. Uh, in, anyway, if you stand on the west coast of Wales and you look out, you might just see the spinning castle. You might just see the glass spinning castle, right? And so, looking out there, you can enter that mythic imagination, and then you can have you can develop a friendship with the woman who sings with the stars to bring all things into being. That's her role. You just, when you're talking about that, it made me um, kind of recollect a time I was traveling in Scotland with my sister and another friend. And it was, you're saying like the land can have such like, sometimes you feel crazy. Like you're sitting there going, what's going on here? Nothing visually is going on. You're just standing there, right? And I do remember we were off on an island, I would say west, but now I'm orienting to North America. So it actually may have been east. But we were on that island, and all three of us thought, we need to be off of this island. Honestly, we woke up the next morning and said, we got to go. We were going to stay a couple of days. We got on a ferry and got right back to the main. We never knew why. We just, it's like, how'd you sleep last night? We need to leave now, right? It was just that energy. We didn't belong there. So There are um, places, they're haunted places, too. I I don't go into this in, in these two books. but. I do think it's important when you go journeying. 
And I, lo- I love journeying. I love taking the, a quest to poke. And, you, and when you go on a true journey, you don't, you don't have a plan. You just, you're going to wait. You're going to listen. You're going to follow. But what is really important is if you feel uncomfortable, if you're in a cairn or, or a stone circle or anywhere and you feel uncomfortable, it's important to leave. I'm and glad stay. we listened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want to go where your friends are, you know. <laughs> you're in the back of your head, you're going, we are not their people and they don't really want us to be here either. Yeah. And nobody was mean. You just knew it. You know, it was yeah. just weird. It was odd. But, you know, you indicated that you take people also. Do you have people go on, um, I want to say pilgrimages. I'm not sure that's the right word, but on discovery with you to the um, aisles and go to some of these places? Yeah, we go journeying and we go questing. And sometimes it's a pilgrimage. It, it, like I said, it depends what century we're working in. <laughs> but um, I, yes, I have taken people. I usually go very small groups and people who are really interested in developing these friendships with these inner archetypes. But yes, it's important. It's important work and it's sacred work. Yes. Do you find people kind of open their arms to your concepts or they just go, here comes her. She's kind of out there. there. What I tend to find is that people love quests. They love journeying. And even if, I mean, I've had a couple times and I hate to say it's men, but it's usually men who were like, Oh, this is ridiculous. This idea is that trees speak. And I'll say, okay, so see this oak tree here. I want you to go. I want you to sit with your back up against the oak tree. Just for a little while. Just sit with your back against the oak tree. And just see if you feel anything. And then I'll come back around later and they'll have their arm around the tree. <gasps> the tree's alive. You know, so I've had a lot of experiences like that. And I think this is important because I think if when we have our own personal experiences and it's not what someone's telling you, but it's something that you've actually felt in your own heart, your own soul, your own body then you're going to relate to the world and to each other differently. So thinking about that, as we wrap this, I want to ask you to how we might, because you made the distinction that the heroine's journey is not just for women. I mean, and the hero's journey is not just for men. How do we bring that learning so that we can start to heal? I mean, it feels to me like we have these big divides that are almost not real, but we believe in them now. And so we act in a way that there's this divisiveness. And I'm interested from your perspective and from the perspective of the ages, how do we heal those? The, how we create equality between the masculine and the feminine? Right. To, so that everything benefits. Because I'm thinking about the whole, like, we can lift up one or the other, but I'm not sure it's, it's not an either or. I don't believe it's either or, right? No, no, I don't think so. There's a there's an old story about a man named Amangons. He was a king, and he was a horrible king. And he went off to the well maidens, and he raped all of them. And at that point, the magic and goes underground, and that creates a wasteland. And what we learn from the story, when you really go into that story, is that if you try to enter an enchanted world, if you try to enter any kind of world, if you try to have a relationship with a woman that's based on domination and violence, it's not going to work. Not, it's not going to work with a man either. And so, and so what we, when we go find our four halos, if you think about it, there are two feminine halos, multi-masculine halos. Ultimately, we're neither. We're a whole being. 
But when we go and we, we look for those hallows and we find them in ourselves and we become balanced in our own nature and we're standing fully, more fully in, in who we are in our truth, then, then we naturally balance. And I, I'm, I'm married, luckily, to this wonderful... I, when I met him, like, he's a Sullivan. And I said, oh, you're one of the old Celtic kings. I know you. You're the, you're the ones from Moonstar. You're the- <laughs> and, and what's really fun about that, it, it's an, he, uh, he holds it anyway. He holds the archetype of the king anyway. But, but as he steps more fully into that, he makes space for me to step more fully into my queen. So he, he gives me more room to create and, and express and not be, not be frightened of the mythical poetic uh, world that I love, the in-world. And so when the king, and of course, not only do I have to depend on, I mean, I don't want to depend on John Patrick for it, even though he, he does hold a great space as the kingly protector so that the goddess of sovereignty can create. But it means that this, I have felt in this book I'm working on now, Kings and Heroes, how author also lives in me, King Arthur. I need to know my own truth. But it needs to come from deep within me. I need to know when it's time for me to, to quest into the shadow realms and, and discover the next piece. And, um, and that's as important as, as um, discovering the goddesses. In, in the books, I the third part, the... I give it a way to do a meditation with the goddess. Sometimes it's connecting through a tree or sometimes a mythical landscape, but a way to go in and create these friends. They're really friends. They're, they're dream world friends. And it's fun when we do, because we, you know, as we get to know them, then, then depending on what life situation's going on, you go, oh, hang on right now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling um, like I need my boundaries. Oh, I, I, I need to call them Skyach. <laughs> you know? or oh i need to be a little more gentle right now i think i need nurse beauty and sensitivity okay you know and uh, so they they help you know how to respond to each situation so in when so it's not there's not one response but it's what what's called for right now and i think that all of these in world champions the heroes and heroines the kings and queens they they help us do this well, I would love to talk to you for a long, long time, but I'm just going to ask you now that you're moving from the West Coast to the East Coast. What is next for you there? Um, I have felt for a while that in my wisdom years that I wanted to retreat more into the mountains. And uh, I grew up in Virginia in, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I love the trees. I love the lakes and the rivers. And so I, I found a wonderful place down a, uh, it's down a dirt road, goes back for a mile. <laughs> but, so I hope that the books will keep coming and that the credit, that my friends will keep visiting me, that there'll be, there are three more books getting ready to come. So hopefully they'll keep coming and I hope people will enjoy them. That's, that's the whole point of telling the stories is you want people to enjoy and, and find this spark within them. So they tell their own stories. You know, so that they live their lives in beautiful ways. Well, I think that um, what you've already contributed to allow that to happen, to help open a pathway for that to happen, is just such a gift. And it's, I mean, personally, it's a gift, but then a gift into the world. So I want to thank you for that. I know that you have a coloring page that we can offer to people to look at. Is that correct? I have a, a page you can download and, and call. I, 
I have, um, I love it when people take colors and they, and they draw on these pages because, you know, you, are you re- reaching for your red strengths or your green compassion or the black, the black of your, your powerful cauldron or, you know, so you can start to play with these rainbow colors and see what's emerging, what's missing. That'll be I fun. Love, love. I'm not sure I'll be able to look at colors quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so last question that I ask of everybody, almost everybody, um, is if you could go back and, and tell your one-year-old Ayn, because you knew it for what you wanted to be, but what piece of wisdom might you offer her or someone else that at that age who doesn't feel as grounded in who they are or have their sparkle? Someone who's one years old? Well, you can pick any age, but I just figured I was going to say five or six, but you already had it figured out at four. So So I would say it's really important to go back to your wondrous child, to go back to that, because they still have that your inner child still has that poetic imagination. They're still living in an enchanted world. It doesn't start to disappear until you're nine. And so I think what's really important is to go back to that young child, hold their hand, and walk with them through the nine-year-old phase, the 12-year-old phase, the phase when you're in your 20s and you almost forget. You know, to, to go back with that child and go, I, I know you need my strength and you need my wisdom, but I really need your joy and your curiosity and your playfulness. I need the foolishness. So, so I think the important thing is never stop questioning. It's okay. It's okay. We're all make mistakes. We're all learning. But never drop the wonder. Never drop the joy. On that note, I'm just going to say thank you so much. And I so appreciate your time today and safe travels on your journeys. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard. And if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.